Hello, and welcome to Field Notes, the weekly podcast of the Military Fellowship Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina, serving Marines stationed at Camp Lejeune and surrounding areas. Military Fellowship Center is a ministry of Military Evangelism Incorporated. Our speaker and host for the program is Dave Mason, the General Director of Military Evangelism and the Field Director at Jacksonville. Visit us on the web at militaryfellowshipministry.com or email us at militaryfellowshipctr at gmail.com. Now, here's Dave Mason. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them which believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father, bless this time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week we read John chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, and we talked about the creative force of Jesus Christ and the effect that his light has on sinful man. This week we continue our study of John's gospel, looking at verses 6-13, through 13, and we'll see how the light of Christ should affect us who are saved. Now, listen, Jesus could have chosen to remain on the earth indefinitely. He could have stayed here and proved his godhood to everyone by more and more wonderful works and caused everyone to believe that he is God, even if that didn't mean exactly that they loved him. But Christ chose to shorten his earthly ministry and return to his Father for a very real, specific reason. Because he wanted you and I to be a part of of his ministry. You see, when light, which is what we're talking about today, when light shines on an object, it is naturally reflected back. Light bounces off everything. Now, some objects are more porous. They soak in the light and they barely reflect it. They're usually soft, porous materials, things that don't have a whole lot of beauty or value to them. A rag, a piece of styrofoam, something like that. But other things reflect great amount of light. They're found to be valuable among men. Things like jewelry, ornaments, shiny cars. Why do we hold those things in such esteem? Because things that reflect light are naturally more beautiful. They beautify their surroundings. They please the eye. They serve a purpose in inspiring men and women. When we choose to only absorb the light of Jesus, we don't do what our Lord called us to do. But when we reflect the light of Jesus back onto others, we, brothers and sisters, become objects of beauty, valuable in our Savior's eye. John chapter 1, verse number 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So we move away from Christ for just a few verses and talk about this man named John. The same, verse 7, came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He, John the Baptist, was not that light, 
but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, we're going to get a little more deep into the life of John the Baptist later on. Here, though, there are some very important first statements about John. The first statement about John that we need to notice is in verse number 6. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He was sent from God. God is always sending men and women to speak on his behalf, to speak his words, to tell someone about his redemptive work in our lives. God always has men appointed for certain jobs. John was appointed before Christ, born six months before Jesus, his cousin. Born six months before Christ, John's job was to clear the way, prepare the children of Israel for the coming of their Messiah. Verse 7, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So he came to be a witness. Now, what is a witness? I know a lot of you are scared of that term, witness. You're scared to hear you're supposed to be a witness. I don't want to, I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough Bible to be a witness. Well, let's define witness for a second and see if you can be a witness. A witness is, is defined as someone who tells or relates what he or she has seen and heard and experienced to another. So a witness is merely someone who has seen something, heard something, experienced something, and then tells or relates that to someone else. Let someone else know what they have seen and heard and experienced. John had a divine mandate from God to preach the repentance of sin, because repentance is needed before one can find Christ and receive him. So John's job was to relate, to tell other men what the Holy Ghost had told him, that repentance was needed. Repentance was needed because the Messiah is coming. And before you can receive the Messiah, you need to repent. You need to repent, and then you can receive the Messiah. John's purpose in witnessing is there in the last half of verse 7, that all men through him might believe. That's why we witness. That all men through Christ might believe. The application for the first two verses is very simple. It's this, God has sent each one of us to do his will. Some of us have very specific mandates to carry out. Some of us have been called to preach. Some of us have been called to sing. Some of us have been called to write. Some of us have been called to create works of art or to to witness on our job site, whatever it is. Some of us, though, aren't called to anything specific. We might be the little lambs in the flock, but we still have to do his bidding. And God's bidding is very, very simple. If you want to know what God's bidding for is for your life, you'll find it in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, Jesus didn't say go you. He didn't say go Peter. He didn't say go James. He didn't say go Philip. He said go ye, all of you. That's a plural. Go ye, everyone that has believed on me, go and preach the gospel to every creature. We are not just to be witnesses, but witnesses, verse 7, of his light. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. We're to bear witness of his light. We are not just to tell people to come to our church. That's not the goal. The goal is not increased church membership. 
The goal is not to get more tithes into the church. The goal is not to have more uh, people sitting in the pews. The goal is not to have a bigger children's ministry. None of that is the goal. The goal is to tell men and women about Christ. Why? That all men through him might believe. You say, okay, so I'm supposed to tell people about Christ because I've experienced Christ. Correct. Well, how do I do that? How do I witness? Well, you just tell people about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You had to learn about that in order to get saved. You know about it. You know enough. You say, but I'm not eloquent. You don't have to be eloquent. One of the best preachers in the last 2,000 years, D.L. Moody, was not a very eloquent man, not a very educated man. And yet he preached to thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands. It's estimated that nearly a million people got saved through his ministry, and perhaps over 100,000 he personally held hands with and led to the Lord. Not a very eloquent man. Tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let them know that he and only he can save their soul from hell. Remember what we said at the beginning about shiny objects being more precious? Be a shiny Christian. Reflect the light of Christ so that others without his light might come to him. And so you say, okay, so I'm supposed to tell people what I know about Jesus. I'm supposed to reflect Jesus' love. I'm supposed to reflect his light to others. Well, where do I do that? Well, I thought about that and I made a list of where I think we should be shining the light of Christ. Are you ready? Here it is. At home. At work. On the playground, in school, at the mall, at the cleaners, at the car dealership, in the insurance office, at the PTA meeting, in the grocery store, when you gas your car, when the waitress brings your food, when the sales clerk is rude, when the policeman gives you a speeding ticket, when the mechanic shows you the bill, when the loan officer from the bank calls, when you're on vacation at the beach, when you're stuck in traffic, wherever you are, witness the love of Christ so that those without him might see the benefit of having him. Verse 8, he was not that light. John, we're still talking about John. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not the light. There is a danger inherent in witnessing. Sometimes people look at you instead of Christ for the answers. I experienced this for 14 years as a pastor. And every pastor who listens to this knows this is true. Sometimes folks look to you instead of Jesus. Problem in their life, they don't even pray about it until they, before they call the pastor. Pastor, you need to pray for me. They, they haven't gone to God on their own, but they call the pastor. There's a danger in being a witness for Christ. There's a danger in reflecting the light of Christ. Sometimes people look at you instead of Christ. People were looking at John the Baptist going, are you the Messiah? The, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Sanhedrin, they, the Jewish leaders, they sent people to John saying, are you the Messiah? He goes, no, I'm not the Messiah. We'll talk about that later. John wasn't the light. He was a reflector of the light. And so are you. Verse 9. He was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So we talked about who's supposed to witness, who's supposed to reflect the light. Now let's talk about the effect of reflecting light. 
Verse 9 again, That was the true light, Jesus, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So we're reminded again that Jesus is the source of all light and hence life. It's, it's a danger for us to start thinking that our church has the answers. It's a danger for us to start thinking that we are the only ones that know. It's a danger. Because every man, woman, and child on this planet owes their very existence to Jesus Christ, including those in the church. And we're not the light. We're the reflection of the light. Jesus is the true light. He's the one that lights everyone. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So here is Christ coming into the world that he created and finding that his creation doesn't recognize him. That tells us how the, the full extent of man's sinful nature. We are so sinful, so out of God's presence, that we did not even recognize God when he came to dwell among us. We are totally blind, it seems, to the things of God. He came into the world, the world that he made, and his own creation didn't recognize him. Verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He's talking here about the fact that Jesus was born a Jew, born the seed of Abraham, born the, the, the house of David. He came to his own people, the, the God's chosen people, and his own chosen people didn't receive him. So dark are the souls of men that not even the chosen people, those who he called out to be special to him, those he gave his law and writings to, the Jews themselves rejected Christ. Why? Why would they reject their Messiah? They didn't recognize him as the Messiah because they were looking for a physical Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah to redeem them physically from Rome, to help them get past the occupation that Rome had over them so that they could have their own land again. They weren't looking for spiritual redemption. Jesus didn't come saying, I'm going to overthrow Caesar. He came saying, I'm going to overthrow hell. And they didn't like that. But their rejection of him opened up the gateway for those of us who are Gentiles to obtain salvation. Romans 11, 11, through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. And so he came, his own creation didn't know him, his own people didn't receive him. But then we get to verse 12, and listen to this. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So now we get to the effect of light on men's souls. When men see the light, when the light of Christ is reflected off of us onto other men, here we see the effect of the light. When we're willing to tell others about Christ, when we're willing to reflect his light, something happens. It's something that church people aren't always quick to embrace. It's something that a lot of people, most people aren't quick to embrace. It's a little thing called change. We don't like change very much, do we? But change happens when Christ comes into a person's life. You see, light always affects change. Light always demands a response. You walk into a dark room, you get a certain feeling. Not sure where you're at. Your bearings are off. You, you're searching the wall. You're, you're feeling along the wall trying to find that switch. 
You turn the switch on and suddenly all of your feelings change. There's a reaction. You can see the room. You see where the chairs are. You see where the door is. You see where the windows are. You, you can see there's a reaction. And when a man sees Christ for who he is, then and only then can he receive him as Savior. And so the world is depending on us to reflect Christ back to them. They don't know they were depending on us, but it's the only way they're going to get the message is if we reflect the light of Christ back to them so that they can receive salvation. That, and that is what salvation is. It's, it, salvation is not an ecstatic feeling. You may not feel a minute different after you're saved, physically, maybe not even emotionally. Salvation is not reciting certain words. It's not saying a certain prayer. Salvation is becoming a son or daughter of God. Salvation involves a man or a woman recognizing their sin nature because the light of Jesus has shone on them and reflected to them and shown them who they really are. It involves a man or a woman recognizing Christ for who He is and what He's done in redeeming us from sin. And then it involves receiving Christ as Savior and being adopted into the family of God, becoming a son of God. But as many as received them, received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The work of salvation is spiritual, not physical. Salvation doesn't come by crawling on your knees till they bleed. Salvation doesn't come by vocally reciting prayers over and over again. Salvation doesn't come by going through a class at your church. Salvation doesn't come by going into the baptistry and, and, and being lowered under the water and being brought back up. That's not how salvation comes. It's not a physical act. It's a spiritual act. Late one night, old man Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, a spiritual man, a teacher, came to Jesus. And he said, you must be from God because nobody can do the things that you're doing unless God's with them. And Jesus cuts right to the chase in John 3, 3. And says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? What a dumb question. Smart man, dumb question. Jesus answered, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, so you need to be baptized, and then you need a spiritual baptism, so that you can get it. So you need to be baptized in the church, then you have to have that second blessing, right? No. Jesus explains himself in the next verse, verse six: that which is born of flesh is flesh; that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You got to be born of the water. That's the flesh. When you were in your mother's womb, you were in the water. The waters broke. You were born of the flesh, and then you need to be born of the spirit. Verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Can I tell you exactly what it feels like to get born again? Nope. I can tell you what it felt like for me, but I can't tell you what it's going to feel like for you. 
Can I tell you exactly how you're going to respond? Can I tell you exactly what you are going to say back to God or what he's going to speak into your heart? No. It's individual. It's like the wind. You ever walk outside and the wind is so cold and, and it just chills you to the bone. And then a month or two later you walk outside and that wind blows and it's so warm and you just want to stand there and feel it. And it's just amazing. It's different. Sometimes it's a light wind. Sometimes it's a heavy wind. Sometimes it just barely moves the little glass baubles on the wind chime outside your porch. And sometimes it takes the roof off the house. It's different every time. And for each one of us, the work of salvation is an individual thing. I can't tell you what it's like for you. I can't tell you what it's going to be like. All I know is this, it's completely and totally a work of God. We can have nothing to do with it. Nothing we do merits or deserves salvation. It is all completely and totally the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Have you accepted the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary? Because that's the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way. I said it before, I say it again, I'll sound like a broken record. I'll keep saying this until the rapture trumpet sounds. Nothing you do can get you into heaven except your surrender. You just have to surrender. You have to give up everything that you are and allow God to come into your life. Jesus did all the work for you on the cross. He suffered every amount of pain that you should suffer in hell those six hours on the cross. He shed the blood that you should shed on that cross. He endured the shame that you should endure on the cross. He was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave victoriously, triumphantly, to prove that he had power over death and hell in the grave. And by placing your faith and trust in him, you can be born again, spiritually born again, saved by the blood of the Lamb. And that's it. That's the only way. You can't go to class for it. You can't get dunked for it. (laughs) You can't give enough money to get it. The only thing you can do is give up, surrender, submit, confess Him as Lord and Savior, believing in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. Romans chapter 10. You will be saved if only you give your heart and life over to Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to continue our study of the book of John. I appreciate everyone who has been listening so far. We've got listeners from as far away as Switzerland and in California, Illinois, Alabama, all over the place. And if you are listening to this podcast, would you do us a favor and uh, go to iTunes, uh, click review, give us a rating. It helps us to get higher on the list. And then go over to our website and click the contact form. Send me a little note saying, hey, Dave, I've been listening to this. This is a blessing to me. Or, hey, Dave, I, I, uh, would you would you help me with this? Uh, give me an answer to this. I'd be willing to talk and, and help you in any way I can. Uh, just please give us a give us a, uh, an indication of how this uh, podcast is affecting your life. We do appreciate it. You keep us in prayer down here in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Keep us in prayer for uh, as we reach these Marines for Christ. And we appreciate all that you do in supporting us and loving us. God bless each and every one of you. Until next week, I'm Dave Mason. Thank you for joining us for Field Notes. If you have been blessed by the preaching and teaching you have heard, 
consider visiting our website at militaryfellowshipministry.com and click the Donate button. Any amount will be a great help to us as we continue to reach our men and women in the military with the gospel. Join us next week as we continue our study of God's Word. God bless you.